The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are going to turn uh, to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to turn now to God's Word. Um, let's see. Pay, if you're picking up one of the Bibles in the back, it's page, uh, I believe it's 898 for 1 Corinthians. If you have your own Bible, uh, go to the back cover and you kind of turn in about 100 pages. That's where the book of 1 Corinthians begins. We are going to be looking at the book of 1 Corinthians uh, this morning, and we are going to be picking up and finishing. Our, we have a little mini-series going on on the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 um, that we have been looking at, and so we're going to be finishing out 1 Corinthians 7 this morning. Um, I've got all this stuff up here, sorry as I kind of get myself settled. Uh, we've been in this little mini-series called um, in 1 Corinthians, um, for goodness sake, um, sex, gender, and relationships, and we are going to be looking at the end of 1 Corinthians 7, talk about that relationships dynamic. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7, 36 through 40. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look at God's Word together. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it, is, it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and is determined that this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and whoever refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry who, to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too had the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this together, um, it can feel like a passage that is a bit of a hodgepodge of situations and a, a bit irrelevant to our lives, maybe. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we look at this together, that we would realize that you have given us your Spirit to think with you. And when life is unclear, we have the Spirit with us by your Word to think through our life situations. So I pray you give us wisdom this morning, God, and most importantly, that you would give us Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm not sure, uh, if I say the, the name Muhammad Ali, do most people know who I'm talking about, Muhammad Ali? Okay, you guys are a lot smarter than I am, because... Um, when I was about 12, it was like the Olympics, the 94 Olympics. Is that what he was, where, where Muhammad Ali went up and lit the torch? Is that what it was? Am I getting that correct? All right, so I remember being in my grandmother's basement. I didn't know who Muhammad Ali was. I remember him walking up to light the, um, the torch and thinking, man, he's really nervous <laughs> because he had the twitch in his arm from the Parkinson's. And like I said, man, he's really nervous in the room. And like everybody in the room, was, have you ever had somebody say something where everybody knows is like, what, is, what planet do you love? Everyone was just like, like, you are an idiot, you know. Um, but Muhammad Ali, the reason I bring it up is he is really famous for this line, right, about his early career, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Or if you are a young family with kids and you're big fans of Cars movies, right, what is it? Float like a bee, float, I wrote it down, <laughs> float like a Cadillac, sting like a bean, yeah, float like a Cadillac, sting like a beamer, yeah. I think that that, so when, when Muhammad was talking about that, right, what he was talking about is that you can train for anything outside the ring, right? When you are a boxer, you can train for anything, you can go through the fundamentals, 
um, how you block, how you punch, all that stuff. But when you get into the ring, all bets are off, and you've got to think on your feet. You've got to kind of dive and weave a little bit. And that can kind of feel a little bit like life, right? Like when we come here on a Sunday morning, we can kind of open up the, we can open the Bible. Here's what God is revealing to us about who Jesus is. We can talk about principles. We can talk about practices. We can talk about things about what does it mean to live a life that's faithful and glorifies God. And then we walk out the door, and we've got to float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. We've got to kind of dodge and weave and think on our feet. And it is incredibly hard to think about what does it mean to be faithful in our life and in our relationships when we don't have a prescribed, this is what you do in every situation, right? At least that's how I feel when I come into this. And that's why we're going to kind of take this last verse and kind of back into this passage, because that's the way Paul is kind of leaving us with a little tidbit to think about how do we float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, in all of these situations in life that we certainly can't have a Bible command for. So verse 40, right? I think I too have the Spirit of God, right? At the very end of it, what does Paul do? And this whole chapter about sex, gender, and relationships, what does Paul do? He draws our attention back to saying, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. The, the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. And you imagine, think with me through this chapter, everything that Paul has addressed up to this point, right? This, this is actually one of the two longest chapters in the book, and it can feel, if you're kind of a little tired of this miniseries, that's how this chapter can feel, which is very long, Right? But in this, in this chapter, Paul has talked about what's the nature of sex and gender, right? Because they've had false teaching about it going on in the church. And he's come in and said, look, sex is good. Gender is designed by God, right? Marriage, what does it mean to be married to a non-Christian, right? When the gospel comes in and one person in a marriage gets saved and the other person doesn't, how does, what does that look like? Okay, so Paul addresses that. He talks about singleness and marriage when the, persecu- the church is being persecuted under cultural circumstances that are very hard. He comes in and addresses that. Then he comes in and talks about, um, he addresses and affirms the dignity and value of women in a culture that would have oppressed them. He talks about what does it mean for couples who want to get married, right? So engaged couples, but they're, enga- they're, they're anxious about the persecution and the cultural context of what's going on at the time, right? There are couples that are fit in faith for singleness. That's kind of what this passage is about, right? And then there's women who um, are rightfully divorced and want to get remarried. Now, those are all incredibly unclear situations. If any of you come up to me after the service and say, here's my situation, I'll be like, I don't know. <laughs> because these are all, you can imagine, in a church, like, even a church of our size, which the, the, the Corinthian church would have been about twice the size of our church, right? They had all these crazy situations going on, and they were not clear, right? They were not clear on what to do. And Paul then ends with the Spirit, why does he end with this little statement, I think I too have the Spirit of God, when he's talking about all these unclear situations in our lives? Well, the reality is, as we just kind of alluded to earlier, the Bible is full of commands, but the Bible is not a commanding book that will deal with every situation in your life. There are, just to give you the numbers, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. There are 1,050 commands in the New Testament, right? So you put that together, 1,660 three commands in the entire Bible out of 180 hours in your week, they do not give you what to do at every moment of the day, of every hour of the week, every day of the, every day of the year. But that's not what the Bible is intended for, right? The Bible is not intended to be a prescription of what you're supposed to do every minute of the day, right? It's not a rule book, 
right? That's why earlier in the book, Paul talks about what is the nature of the Holy Spirit and why the Holy Spirit was given to us. Can we throw this passage up, 1 Corinthians 2? Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 this is from earlier in the book where Paul talks about the nature of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand, now notice this phrase, things freely given to us by God, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Right? I know this kind of seemed like, let's drop this passage out of nowhere, but I'm drawing us back to, this is the chapter where Paul grounds his teaching on the Holy Spirit that he's now applying to our relationships and our lives and he's saying the Spirit has been given to us, and the Spirit has given us words to understand the things of God. So let's put those statements together. The Holy Spirit has given us the Bible so that we can understand who God is and how he thinks about things so that then the Spirit can reveal that word to us and we can live with that word in our hearts and lives, right? So we can have not only the structure of a house, right? Imagine you walking into this building without the lights on, right? We've got the building but there ain't nothing that it's going to do for us because we can't see anything. And the Holy Spirit not only gives us the building of God's Word, but He turns the lights on so we can figure out how to live in it and work with it and live among God's, God's Word. So that is, the, the, the Word has been freely given to us. When Paul talks about the Spirit, the Bible and the Spirit go closer together, right? We're not saying the Bible is the Holy Spirit, right? We're not going to make that statement. But the Bible is inspired and perfectly given to us by the Holy Spirit, so that we can know who God is, because God wants us to know who he is, right? You notice that statement? You understand the things free, freely given to us by God. He wants us to know who he is and how he thinks, and he wants us to think about that stuff in our minds, in our hearts, for our lives, especially when things are unclear. Because just like this passage that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 7, there are a lot of unclear things in our lives. Right? There are things that are unclear that we don't understand, we don't understand what to do with. And frankly, if you're here exploring Jesus and exploring what does it mean to be a Christian, I, I just want to say this. One of, the, one of the most amazing things about the Christian religion, about what, what Jesus does, is that he comes alongside us and trains us to walk with him. Right? We don't worship a God. The, the Bible does not reveal a God that dictates everything about our lives down to the type of shoes you wear, Right? The Bible comes in and says, this God loves you and has designed you to walk with him, and he comes in to train you because you've been saved from your sin, from the power of evil, and now he wants you to be a part of his family to walk with him. All right, so if you're exploring what does it mean to follow Jesus, right, the whole point of Jesus coming is not to badger you with his law, but to come in, give you his spirit, implant his word, his law in you so that you are trained to walk beside him. So what we're going to be looking at in this passage, this is the main point of the passage. Think with the Spirit's leading when life's unclear. That's the main point of this passage. Think with the Spirit's leading when life's unclear. Let me just kind of point this out to you as we kind of think about this, because training is at the part of this passage because there, if you'll notice as we're kind of reading through this passage, there is a lot of kind of like, if somebody wants to do this, or I think this, or if somebody wants to do that, or they wish this, there's a lot of how do you get those desires all kind of figured out. So think about this. If anyone thinks, right, somebody, that, that involves something you're doing. If somebody thinks he's not behaving properly towards his beloved, his passion is strong and it's not to be, 
Let him do as he, what? Wishes, right? So there's some freedom in that. What he wishes, let them marry is no sin. Whoever is firmly established in his heart. So there's some, some consideration that's going on there in his heart. What do I do? How do I think about this? What do I do with this situation? Whoever is established in his heart, being under no necessity, right? So there's not a commandment related to it, but having his desire under control and has this determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So he who marries his betrothed does well, and whoever refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, right? So there's the command. There is a commandment related to that. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry. Again, what does it say? To whom she wishes. There's some freedom there. There's, there's some thinking that has to be involved in that. Only in the Lord, right? Another command. Here's only in the Lord. But it's my judgment, right? She is happier if she remains as she is. And then notice where we end here. And this is where we're going to kind of launch into the rest of this, go backwards. And I think I, too, have the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit in this passage is training us to think with God when life's unclear. All unclear situations, Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit's been given to you to think through those things. So here we're going to pick up back in verse 36, and we're going to see how does the Spirit train us for unclear realities in life? How does he do this? Right, the first thing that he does is the Holy Spirit trains our desires. The Spirit trains our desires. So, right, now we've been saying the Spirit trains us to think through unclear situations. How does he do that? Verse 36, the Spirit trains our desires. If anyone thinks he is not behaving, behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Right, so if you remember the the context of what's going on here, right, uh, there was uh, back in the old days, right. We're talking not like 1950s Johnny Cash old days. We're talking like old old days, like Caesar Augustus and Roman Empire. Those old days. Back in the old days, there was this thing called the Hellenistic philosophy, Hellenistic thinking that said that sex was bad and was only useful for making babies, and that every other use of it was bad. And so what Paul is addressing in this chapter, he's saying, no, God is designed sexual desire for intimacy. It is a good thing. It is designed by God for, to glorify him because he, he likes it. He has made it. It's his idea, right? And so you can imagine in the context where this thinking of sex is bad, kind of going into a church, and then here's this guy who's, who's engaged, and he's kind of like, you can imagine the anxiety with these people that I respect in the church, like they're saying, like, you shouldn't get married because this stuff is bad, like physical intimacy isn't good, that you really should just be a single person, and you should be fully devoted to the Lord, and that's better, and that's more holy, and that's more godly, and all this physical intimacy stuff is, like, nasty and dirty and gross. You can imagine the anxiety of that, right? Have you ever had, like, a situation where you're like, oh, like, these people that are more mature than me, they kind of, like, think differently. It's a bit of a weird position, but I don't know. Like that sort of situation? You can imagine this guy's situa- situation. And what does Paul do? Where does Paul go with this situation? Right? He goes to the principle of the matter. Right? He goes after the heart of the situation. Right? If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed. Right? So you can imagine, right? If Strangely enough, humanity never changes. <laughs> right? You're engaged to get married, and you guys are hot for each other. There's stuff you're going to be tempted to do that you probably shouldn't be doing. Right? goes after that and he says, look, passions are strong, not bad, and it has to be, right? It's good, designed by God, glorifying to God. Let him do as he wishes. Get married. Come on. Get over with it, you know? It's designed by God for good thing for a man and woman to get married. It pleases God. But he goes after the principle, right? The marriage is not bad. Sexual intimacy, not bad. It's designed 
to glorify God. Frankly, the practices, right, there is this dynamic that we have to think through right now. There is a principle and there are practices. The principle, marriage is good. God's designed it and it glorifies him. When a man and woman get married, it's good and it glorifies God. The practice that they were trying to impose was not good. Don't get married. Physical intimacy is bad. This isn't good for you, right? Paul drives his attention back to training his desires with the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible reveal? And that's what Paul did at the very beginning, right, of this chapter. What does the Bible reveal? It's good. It's designed by God, and it's good for us. But often, their church experienced what our church or any church often experiences. When things get unclear, when we've got cultural teachings that are kind of making things vague and confusing, we often like to come up with new laws to give us direction in life, right? We like to come up with things to say, no, you know what, God's not clear, but let me fill in the gap because we might be able to kind of make God a little bit clearer for him, right? We like to come up with new laws to kind of make God clear where God's been intentionally unclear or, frankly, where we might disagree with God, right? <laughs> so there are always temptations in the church to generate new laws, right? It's always Jesus and his word plus something else, right? So you can imagine the new laws that we like to create, right? We like to create new laws around alcohol, right? It's sin to drink alcohol. Well, the Bible never says that. Actually, the Bible says drunkenness and addiction to drug, drink, addiction to drugs and alcohol is sin, but alcohol itself often commended for celebration and joy. Foods, right? I don't know how this keeps happening, but people keep going back to saying you shouldn't eat pork, right? <laughs> like this whole thing about like pigs, like, bro, I don't, the Bible, actually, there's a chapter and verse on that one. I don't know if you've ever read Acts 10, but God says bacon's great, eat it. You know, but for some reason, I keep hearing in sermons that randomly come up on the internet, you shouldn't eat pork. I'm like, bro, like that one is just easy, right? And if you've ever eaten bacon, you know that God designed it for our good, right? Music, right? What music you should listen to, what music's good, what music's bad, secular music versus Christian music, right? Frankly, Christian music's all like horrible, you know, generally. It, you know, you got uh, entertainment, what you should watch on TV, what you shouldn't watch on TV, right? Now, as we're kind of working through these things, some of you might be having, like, hesitations of, like, well, what about this and that? Okay, the hesitations, the principles, right? What should you be watching and shouldn't be watching? I can't tell you you shouldn't watch Breaking Bad, for example. Like, <laughs> that's not on my, that's not on, there's no command in the 200, whatever, uh, close to over a thousand verses, uh, commands in this Bible to tell you, thou shalt not watch Breaking Bad, right? I, I can't tell you that. It, worship service styles, and songs, we like to create rules about those things, right? What, what songs should we only sing the Psalms in the Bible? Should we only do contemporary songs? Should we only sing hymns? Should we do the Lord's Supper every Sunday, right? We obviously have preferences about how we do that. But are there any laws in the Bible about that? What version of the Bible do you, do you use, right? There's maybe a few versions that you shouldn't use, and I'm happy to talk about those. But generally, most versions of the Bible are great, right? Politics, Who's, which, which uh, party should you vote for? Which president should you vote for? How should you vote for the president? Should you vote against him or for him? The Bible doesn't give you clear other than pray for him. Right? What clothes you should wear? Right? Should you only uh, buy clothes from this store or that store? What, what does it mean? Uh, what does leadership in the church mean? All these things. There's, there's principles about each of these categories. 
just like there are principles about marriage in the Bible. We often get off the rails when we elevate our practices to being commands from the Lord, right? That, there's, this, there's this fundamentalist impulse in us to say, we've got to make these things real clear because God's a little vague, and that's where things get off kilter, right? Frankly, the commands that are most important, the top 10, right? The big 10, the 10 commandments, those are the ones that reveal the heart of God, and everything is downhill from there. So how does Paul go about training, training their desires, right? Read through this with me. If anyone thinks he is behaving properly towards his betrothed, and his passions are strong, right? So he's, he's, asked, he's beginning to ask questions or make qualifications. If his passions are strong, and it has to be, right? So he doesn't, don't think there's no self-control here. We've we got to seal the deal. Let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin, right? He ends by going towards the principle. It's not sin to get married. But then he kind of reasons through to that point. Did you see that kind of like, he kind of makes these qualifying statements, kind of thinking through, how do we get to this final statement, marriage is not a sin, go ahead and get married, right? So the first thing he does is he considers the desire, right? Like, so if you're thinking, all right, should, so for example, in this situation, should I be getting married or not, right? To kind of make this very particular to this passage, if you're single and you're like, man, I really want to get married, should I be getting married or not? Has God called me to singleness? Has God called me to celibacy? Or has he called me to marriage? All right, let's think through the desires. The desire that you have, good, and that means it requires some humility, right? Okay, I've got to take this desire that I think is just inherently good, and I want to evaluate it, and that means you've got to involve other people in the church, involve your community. I've got to open this conversation up and say, okay, here's what I want. Help me think through this. Consider the desire, like what's going on here? Where am I at with this? And that requires lots of conversation and consideration together because our hearts are not obviously uh, very easy to understand right? Move towards, the second thing he does is he move towards biblical principles, right? In contrast to like, well, this cultural dynamic is this, this cultural dynamic is that, right? Uh, he moves towards the principle. What is the design of this, des- of this desire to glorify God? Third thing he does is seek wisdom, right? If anyone thinks, if his passions, and it has to be, okay, then here's wisdom, let them get married. It's okay. Right? You kind of take this and you apply it to other situations. What does it mean? Right? So let's say alcohol, right? If you have struggled with alcohol as an addictive substance, this, the way this thing probably processes out for you is that you should not drink. That's not going to be good for you because there are going to be these considerations as to how you treat substances. If that's not your situation, God says, okay, that's probably good for you. But there could be cultural situations as well, right? If it were in the Middle East, right, or a predominant uh, religion is Islam and alcohol is looked down upon, that could be a cultural hindrance. might not be good. If I'm speaking out of turn, let me know. I know New Hampshire, and that's all I know. <laughs> but these requires conversations. And then finally, you know what? It, it, uh, the thing I love about this, Paul, he would be a good buddy of mine, just ends with, let them marry. It is no sin. Just make a decision and move forward, you know? Like, sometimes you just have to, like, make a decision. I've, I've thought through the biblical principles. I've thought through what does the Bible say about this. I've thought through what glorifies God. I've just got to make a decision to move forward, you know? Like, I can't just, like, keep, like, stuck in this loop of, like, internal consideration. Like, what am I going to do? Anxiously thinking about the next step. Anxiously thinking about what is obedience. You know what? Just make a decision to move forward. You know, just... 
it's going to be okay. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he's like, you have to qualify the statement, so listen to what I'm going to say on the back end of this. He said, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. You know, he's like, you know what? Just don't get so anxious about it. Do think about what holiness and faithfulness looks like. Like, we're not saying holiness is not important. It is important to be faithful to God. It is important to walk through what does it mean to be specifically faithful to God in my situation. But you know what? It doesn't glorify God for you to constantly be in these backpedaling, anxious circles of like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And just make a decision and move forward. Um, you know, first, uh, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. One of the many things that verse says, I think, is along these lines. You know what? When you're, tra- when you're in the training ground of the Holy Spirit to, to train your desires, you've got to think through it. What does the Bible say? Process it with, his God, with God's people. Make a decision and move forward. You make a mistake. You sin. Let's repent. Let's ask for God's grace. Let's learn from the situation. Make another decision and move forward. Right? Like you're not trying to prove yourself to God. Jesus is infinitely happy with you because of the cross. And you cannot disappoint him. You can't displease him but he won't kick you out. So let's make a decision to move forward with the Holy Spirit training our desires. All right, so if you feel any anxiety with that, Paul continues on with the passage, and we're going to address some of that, okay? If you feel like, okay, this isn't cookie-cutter enough, this isn't clean enough, this this isn't quite enough to kind of make me feel comfortable with this, Paul continues here that the big bulk of this chapter, and he's going to talk to us about how the Spirit trains us, trains our diversity, 37 to 39, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having desire under control, as determined in his heart to keep his betrothed, keep her as his betrothed, he would do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And then verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Right, again, do you notice, if you're picking up on the language, being firmly established in his own heart, right? He is considered, all right, here's what the Bible says about marriage and physical intimacy. I, I think we're going to hold off on that, right? He's being firmly established in a different direction, right? He is, he's reading the field. He knows the biblical desires, and he says, I'm going to choose this way. And just to give some context here, verse 26 of the same chapter, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good if a person remain as he is. The context, right, the cultural context of what was going on, was that there was severe cultural um, persecution against the Christian church. And just like we prayed for our refugee friends, Christians at any moment could be a refugee getting out of town and moving someplace else. And if anybody in here has kids, you know how incredibly anxiety-inducing that is, right? You mean tomorrow I'm going to have to move to California with my four boys, I mean, please just kill me now, you know? <laughs> like, that, that is just so anxiety-inducing. And Paul's saying, look, in light of this present distress, if that's something you don't have faith for, just don't, don't get married right now. Maybe, maybe wait for this to settle down. And then if you, so if you guys want to stay engaged, right, that's, that's what he's saying here, right? Right, remain, to keep her as his betrothed, right? If you guys, if you guys want to get married and you guys are cool to, to, to wait a little while to maybe see if this persecution passes, just wait. 
it's okay. Like, you don't have to get married. Like, anybody who's single in this room, there is no second-class status for you. Like, you don't have to get married to be a fully, uh, full, devoted, growing disciple in Jesus, right? You don't have to have a husband to be a full, growing woman in Jesus, to be faithful to Jesus. If you're a man, you don't become a man when you get married. You're a man in Jesus because that's the way God designed you, right? You don't have to get married, right? So there's no second-class status for anybody who's not married. And Paul's just saying, look, Think about the field. Think about what's going on. Think about the biblical principles and make a decision. And you know what that's going to do? That means people are going to make a lot of diverse decisions. Some people are going to say, you know what, we got to get married. Some are going to read things and are going to say, you know what, uh, i got to stay single. And Paul, <laughs> you see that in verse 38? So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Right? I'm not saying that he, I don't think he's saying like singles are better than the married folks. I think he's just saying, like, look, given the pressure to get married, that's a lot of grace in your life to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from this right now. And he affirms both, right? So in this situation, there's going to be a diversity of expressions of faithfulness in, what, in this situation, what that looks like. And then just to kind of finish out this section, right, if you're new here, I just want to, I'm going to reiterate this point because we made it earlier in the series, and I just want to be really crystal clear. In the culture of the time, the women were valued lower, like on the hierarchy of the, of the culture, women were valued, were valued so low in the cultural hierarchy that their testimony, right, their witness about any situation was not admittable in court, right? So you had, obviously, men at the top, right, and then kind of going down. You had slaves down here, and then under slaves were women. And so now here comes Jesus and his redemptive story to change and turn the world upside down, and what does he do? Verse 39, a woman is bound her husband as long as she lives, but if, she would, if, a, if her husband dies, right, so if, if her marriage is dissolved by biblical grounds, so that would be divorce, abandonment, or abuse, um, or death, she is free to marry to whom she wishes, only in the Lord, right? What an affirming, countercultural statement to say, all right, and not just the men too on this situation, but the women also, Right? Women are affirmed to make a decision for themselves who they're going to get married to, right? How often in cultures throughout the world, even to this day, are women treated as cattle and they're just kind of given off? And here he says, you know what? If you want to get married, get married. Just, just do it for another, with another Christian, right? Get married to another Christian guy. That's the only rule, right? <laughs> like, I mean, maybe there's a few other things, like, you know, do they have, like, a job and those type of things. But, you know, um, be able to provide. I'm not saying that homeless people are just are underneath this. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but she is, but so you're seeing that there is a diversity of expression, right? Right? Being firmly established, diversity of expression, women are valued. These are all unclear situations. And then Paul comes in in verse 38. So he who marries betrothed as well, he refrains as even better. There's going to be a diversity of how we express ourselves, express faithfulness. And why do you think Paul ends here? Why do you think Paul ends with this statement? I think it's because in, in, our church, in, our, in the church in general, Christians, we like to have uniformity. We like to make sure everybody's on the same page. We all agree. We're all in the same perspective, right? You think about like a military unit, right? You have to, when a, when a military unit goes into, a, into attack mode, everybody's got to be same page, same, same, dress the same way, act in the same way, going on the same mission, fulfilling the mission in the same direction. They all have to be all cookie cutter, same. And we can kind of think about that with the church, right? We all, 
have to be acting the same way. We all have to make the same decisions. And frankly, sometimes if somebody makes a decision that's not what we chose, we can often have this anxiety inside of like, oh, am I, did, is that a judgment on me? Did I make a bad decision? Did I, am I acting unfaithfully? Or are they saying they're better than me? Or any of these sort of like internal loops, right? There's a strong impulse in us to have uniformity in our church. When the Spirit trains us for diversity, that is to be embraced and celebrated, right? There is a different choice for somebody, right? Here's how you know you're growing in this and being trained by the Holy Spirit. Somebody makes a different decision than you, and you say about them, they were biblical and faithful, even though they chose a different, different outcome than me. So they chose to get married. I chose not to get married. They chose to vote this way. I chose to vote this way, right? There, there is a number of applications, right? So we could go down the list, right? How we think about dating in relationships, right? Do you dating courtship, right? Man, I don't know if how long you've been a Christian, but if you've been a Christian for like five years, you'll know if people have got opinions one way or the other. No, you only do courting. No, you only do dating. Oh my gosh, like where is that in the Bible? Cultural engagement, what does it look like to culturally engage? What does it look like to be faithful in how we engage the culture? Um, how we school, man, this is a hot rod, right? Right? How we school, right? Are Christians who homeschool the only faithful Christians? No. Christians who send their kids to public school are faithful. Christians who homeschool are faithful. There's a whole range of perspectives of faithfulness in that, right? We're not going to be landing on one, time to the one side or the other. How we parent, right? How people parent their kids are going to be faithful. Um, <laughs> sorry, how, I was in a small group once and um, at a previous church, just to clarify. And one woman said to another woman in the, in the group, I want to apologize because I've been judging you for not breastfeeding your children. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I'm sorry. First of all, there's nothing in the Bible that says that, that, like, that like, that's the only way to do this, right? <laughs> there's only one way. And now you're like making it super awkward. Thanks for telling me that you were judging me. <laughs> that makes me feel super comfortable in this situation. That's happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you. I mean, obviously not about that situation, but about different situations like that, you know? But, right? The, when we kind of like create these new laws and then we think this is the only way to do it because I've thought through it and I've been faithful. Well, somebody can be faithful in a different direction and that's going to be okay, right? There's going to be a diversity, right? How we think about entertainment, which recovery programs are going to be better for you, right? There is a number of things we get on the list. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm training you to apply God's word to be faithful. And that's going to look differently. That doesn't mean that it's like, it's like everything's permissible, right? You know, it's how he gives some constraints, Right. All right, so if you're not going to go uh, burning your passions um, and do stuff you shouldn't be doing, but still call yourself being single, uh, that's not being faithful, right? That you should be getting married. Uh, if you're going to get married again for the woman, uh, you should be getting married to another Christian, right? So there's boundaries, right? There are, there's, there's training going on, but what does that mean for you and your life decisions? We need to learn that we can't compare ourselves to other trainees of the Holy Spirit, but we can trust the Holy Spirit who's training everybody, right? We can trust the train Holy Spirit's training other people, right? This is how this applies. If, if I'm ever in a counseling context with somebody, this is how this applies for me in this situation. How do I discover what God is doing in this person before I apply my agenda, right? How do I discover what's God doing in this person? How is he helping them to become faithful with their situation and their, their context with biblical principles? How is God shaping them Right? Because often when somebody comes to us, right, and they start asking us, like, hey, what do you think I should be doing, blah, 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 and you just kind of, your immediate gut response is to say, like, ah, you know what, 
um, here's what I've done, and you've got to do it like me, right? Here's my, here's my response to that. Here's what I've done, and mine's the only way to do it. And Jesus comes in and says, yeah, but that's not, I, I'm not training them to be you. I'm training them to be them, redeemed by me. So how can we be discovering what God is training other people to become, right? All right, let's finish this out, and then we'll be done. Verse 40, we started here, and we're going to end here. Verse 40, and I think I too have the Holy Spirit. Paul is landing us here. What does it mean to think through life's unclear situations? He's landing and and showing us that the Spirit trains our posture, right? Is Paul being sarcastic here, right? Because you could imagine, because all through this book, he's kind of been having to show them, like, look, you think you've got the Holy Spirit, but you're just being a bunch of uh, pig-headed, arrogant jerks. But Paul, I think, here is doing a bit of a correction and a humble confession that invites all of us in, right? In the fog of figuring things out, where does your confidence go in life? In the fog of figuring out, what do I do? What's the next faithful decision? In the fog of figuring out what's faithful in the situation, where does your confidence go? Because for the Apostle Paul, you know where his confidence could have gone? It could have gone in a number of ways, right? His intellect. Paul is universally understood to be one of the, the, the ten smartest individuals that ever walked the face of the earth. So you probably got like the Apostle Paul and Einstein, right? You've got these guys who are incredibly brilliant, right? His, his confidence didn't go there, not in his academic or religious training, right? If you go over in other books of the Bible, Paul talks about how he was trained to be that, like, he was at the Harvard of all religious and intellectual training at the time, right? Academics, he got aces, he was in the valedictorian list. That's not where his confidence went, not in his office as an apostle, right? How many people in this room have seen the risen Lord Jesus face to face? Didn't think so, right? The apostle Paul, he saw Jesus face to face in his resurrected form, and he still did not hold that as his confidence when it came to this situation, right? What, what did he do? He planted over 20 churches, right? The apostle Paul probably planted close to 20, 30 to 40 churches. It was his confidence in, I one-upped every one of you Christian people, right? The, the Apostle Paul had done miracles to boot, right? He got, he got bit by a, a viper, right? A poisonous snake, shook it into the fire, and then walked on. Bro, I ain't done that. How many of you raised somebody from the dead? Even still, his confidence wasn't in the miraculous things that God had done through him, right? He had spoken before kings and the Senate. He had corrected the Apostle Peter, right? So it's like correcting the Pope, right? He had corrected the Pope and won. Not, and he had numerous conversions to his name. And yet, where is his confidence in the midst of all these unclear situations? The Spirit and his Word. Right? The Holy Spirit's in me. I have the Holy Spirit. He is with me. He is guiding me. He's training me to be, think about things biblically, to think about things to point to Jesus. And so where do you go when things get unclear? When things get unclear in your life, and you're like, I don't know what to do with this relationship. I don't know what to do about this life decision. Does it go to, I've talked to enough people, I've talked to the pastor, I've read these books, I've uh, logic this out, I've got a backup plan, does it go to those things? What if instead of those things, we pause for a moment and realized that we, of all people, undeserving, we are all undeserving of this, but the God of the universe comes and sits down and dwells in you right now. There is always a plus one where you are. There is always one other person there, and it is the Spirit of God who is eager to show you God's Word, to guide you in God's Word, 
to reveal what God's Word means, to guide you in being faithful to that meaning. Right? The Holy Spirit is with us. I, I think we can pass over this and try to figure things out in our anxiety too quickly. Can we pause for a moment and realize that the third person of the Trinity who created all things, who knows all things about your situation, who knows all things about the situation that you've been in and the one that you want to make, he knows everything. He dwells in you to train you, to give you wisdom. What does it look like in our lives to just to insert a little bit of a pause to say, okay, Holy Spirit, before I start making a gut reaction here, how do I, how do I listen to you here? I imagine Paul did this all the time. Okay, before I answer, before I make a decision here, what does the Spirit say? Will you lean into Him? Will you submit your thinking to Him? Will you ask for the Holy Spirit to guide you in all these unclear situations, to understand God's Word, and to apply it to your life? This passage has been all about that we need to think what the Spirit's leading when life gets unclear. This week we're going to face unclear situations. It's my prayer that we will ask and lean into the Holy Spirit's guidance. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, um, we do need you. And we need you to lead our thinking about things because uh, we want to honor Jesus. We want to be faithful to him. And I pray, that, Lord, as we have diverse expressions of faithfulness, that they will honor you, they will please you, and Lord, as we walk beside each other, that we will enjoy the goodness of God dwelling with us to make much of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.